Sparse. Hush. Father's upstairs awake and he don't know I'm doing his work. How much? said the man more softly. Eighteen pence a thousand. Her visitor paused to fix the probable sum necessary to outweigh her present resources and her woman's love of comeliness. Here's a sovereign. As much as you'd earn in a week and a half and it's yours for just letting me snip off what you got too much of. I won't sell. I'll make the one sovereign too, rather than go back empty-handed. No, she cried. The lady wants it badly. Who is she then? As she is going abroad soon, it makes no difference who she is. I know who tis. Tis she at the house, Mrs. Charmond. The man dropped his voice. Well, it is. You sat in front of her at church the other day, and she noticed how exactly your hair matches her own. Ever since she's been hankering for it to help out hers. As you're in one of this lady's cottages, and your father is ill and wouldn't like to turn out, it would be as well to oblige her. I say that as a friend. But I won't press you tonight. You'll be coming to market tomorrow, I dare say, and you can call then. I've nothing more to say. As you are a trusty young woman, he said, I'll put these sovereigns up here, that you may see how handsome they are. Bring the article tomorrow, or return the sovereigns. He stuck them into the frame of a small mantel looking-glass. She wants my curls to get another lover with, though if stories are true, she's broke the hearts of many a gentleman already. Marty South, you've got a lover yourself, and that's why you won't let it go. She reddened, put the glove on one hand, took up the hook with the other, and sat down doggedly without turning her face to him again. With one look back at her, Perkham departed. Marty pursued her occupation for a few minutes, then, laying down the billhook, she went to the staircase. At the top, she gently approached the bedroom. Father, do you want anything? A weak voice inside answered in the negative, adding, I should be all right if it were not for that tree. Always the tree, don't worry so about that, she said soothingly. Father, can Mrs. Sharman turn us out of her house if she's minded to? No. "'Tis life-hold like Giles Winterbourne's. "'But when my life drops, twill be hers.' "'His words had been rational enough, but now he lapsed. "'And that tree will soon be the death of me.' "'Nonsense. How can it be?' "'She descended again. "'Thank heaven, then,' she said to herself. "'What belongs to me, I keep.' Eleven, twelve. One o'clock struck. The heap of spars grew higher. The two sovereigns confronted her from the looking-glass in such a manner as to suggest a pair of jaundiced eyes on the watch for an opportunity. When the clock struck three, she arose and tied up the spars she had last made in a bundle resembling those that lay against the wall. She opened the door. There was no street lamp, but she could see well enough for her purpose. Taking a bundle under each arm, she went some hundred yards down the lane till she reached a shed. She laid the spars on the ground within the shed and returned, going to and fro till her whole stock was deposited. This erection was the wagon-house of the chief man of business hereabout, Mr. George Melbury, the timber merchant, for whom Marty's father did work of this sort by the piece. It formed one of the many outhouses which surrounded his dwelling. She was pausing for a moment with that sense of accomplishment that follows work done, when she heard a woman's voice say anxiously, 
George, do come indoors. Marty saw an elderly woman sheltering a candle. Its rays fell upon a thin, slightly stooping figure. Marty recognized her employer, Melbury, and his wife. She was the second Mrs. Melbury, the first having died shortly after the birth of Grace, the timber merchant's only child. "'Tis no use to stay in bed,' he said. "'I can't sleep. I keep thinking of things. Not about Grace?' "'Yes. Why worry about her? First, she doesn't answer my letter. She must be ill. No. Things only appear gloomy in the night time. Second... I have not invested any money to put her out of reach of poverty if my affairs fail. They are safe. Besides, she's sure to marry well. You're wrong. According to my plan, she won't marry well. Why?